What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, a tradition literally unlike any other, the Masters in November. Joshua Perry, golf handicapper extraordinaire from the Action Network, joins me to discuss who he likes and dislikes for this week at Augusta National. What's the key element of a golfer's game in order to make up strokes? Who are the -the under-the-radar guys to watch out for? And what's the deal with Bryson? Is he bettable at such a short price? Why Patrick Reed has a better chance to get the green jacket again than Tiger Woods does, and much, much more. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, sports betting professional Matt Russell, with apologies to Tuesday night's Maction. No need for a don't look back and anger segment today because I want to get to our guest. It's called a tradition unlike any other, and this year that really rings true as the twists and turns of 2020 have us celebrating Masters Week in November. So we turn again to our friends at the Action Network. To help me break down the tournament this year, he's Joshua Perry, writer and general golf analytics savant for the Action Network. Joshua, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, Matt, good to be here. So I've, I've had your boss on, Chad Millman, <laughs> in our bio series that we did in the summer. And then Colin Wilson, uh, you know, colleague of yours, came on for the U.S. Open. And, and what we do when we've got a new guest to the show is we like to get an idea of their background. So two-part question to start us off here. Uh, Tell me about how you got into betting sports. I talk about, you know, that transition from fandom, and then there's a point where you realize that you can bet on this stuff, and then that kind of of becomes the thing that you become obsessed with. So who were your childhood teams, and do you remember when you realized that you could bet on sports? Yeah, I grew up in Utah, so my childhood was the jazz with Stockton and Malone and watching Jordan cut out our hearts for a few times. So yeah, that, that was basically my thing. Um, hockey. I've been a Sharks fan probably since the, they jumped into the league Rockies for baseball. It was kind of that with those two teams. It was one of those things where I was like nine or 10 when they were joining the leagues and right. And I mean, Utah didn't have teams. So it kind of just was a fit there. Uh, NFL, it's the Rams. They were just kind of around. They were still in their tail end of their Los Angeles days when I was sitting there. So they were kind of our, a regional team with San Francisco. So yeah, it's just kind of in Utah, you kind of can pick and choose. So you don't really have a, a sure. complete market there. So that's kind of where I was trending to um, with betting. I mean, I always knew we could kind of bet me and my dad used to just pick games for like a quarter, like the entire NFL oh, slate. Okay. we'd alternate, but then it kind of really took a new level. Um, I went down to Southern Utah is where I went to college. And so Vegas is a two hour drive. Um, and that kind of just jump started uh. everything. Once the, the once we kind of hit the age there where you could go it was it was a really easy weekend trip there to really get into things yeah that proximity is uh yeah is ideal uh i have to as a canadian um ask you a little bit more about the sharks thing first (laughs) uh just because it's hockey uh why why the sharks like i know you were sort of a free agent when it comes to that league i mean you know when you're like eight years old and you see that shark biting through the hockey stick it's a pretty sweet logo (laughs) um they were, and, and when point. I was playing video games back then, it was like they were pretty much the worst team on the game because they were an expansion in the NHL 92, yep. 93 range. So right. um, that was always the most challenging thing to try to like make them good and try to win a <laughs> yeah. Stanley Cup with them. So that was another right. thing too. But yeah, and then it, 
And then slowly but surely, they actually became a, a good team that you could watch year in and year out and it just kind of stuck around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you don't know this, but uh, I'm a born and raised Vancouver Canucks fan, so I have to apologize for the 2011 uh, Western Conference Finals. Oh, yeah. Kind of a bad bounce yeah. off the glass there for the overtime winner in Game 5. Yeah, they were never so, really in that anyway, so it's all right. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was the best. Five, so. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, it was the best Canucks team that I'll ever see in my lifetime. Um, and, of course, they didn't win the Stanley Cup anyway. Uh, but I, I digress. So, so how do you land on golf as your area of betting expertise then? So, like, what's, you know, is that sort of just an analytics element for you where you're like, this is our best chance to get good at this? Is it just enough of watching the puck or the oblong football you know, bounce in crazy ways. You can sort of rely on more stuff when it comes to golf. Um, it's kind of a combo of things. Like when I'm first starting out, you're betting like 10, 20 bucks trying to, to figure things out and, and see how sure. things go. Um, the thought of like laying in nine or laying these odds, laying minus one ten into lines, betting 20 bucks to bring back 18 wasn't really doing much for me. Um, Okay. Uh, and then golf, I had always, I played it in high school. I've been playing it since I was young. My roommates in college were all on the golf team. So it was just kind of a natural thing. We'd be watching golf and then 2010 came around and you hit Bubba Watson for 20 bucks at 50 to one. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, what's this? This isn't, this isn't the $18 I'm used to when somebody covers a spread. What that just kind of, it boosts your account. It jump starts everything. It's like, well, what's going on with all this? I mean, they play every single week all around the world. So let's, let's, let's right. dive into this and see what we can find. And I mean, eventually it just kind of took over everything. I don't do any other sports really anymore. I'll follow people who are way okay. smarter than me, but there's so many tours and so many things going on everywhere that it's really just 24 seven golf is really where I'm diving in. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I see, you know, a, your colleagues, for instance, like a guy like Stucky, who's just like, yeah, I'm just following Josh at this point. <laughs> like, this is all embedding. Like, he's, you know, you're killing it on the Corn Fairy Tour. And even your colleagues are just like, yeah, I'm not handicapping this stuff. Why would I bother when we've got this, you know, we've got access to this guy who's absolutely killing it. So uh, I'll open up the sort of brag window here for you. Uh, tell us about these wins that you had in the past, in the last summer, because a lot of us were betting golf pga tour but you focused a fair amount of your efforts on the corn fairy Tour, which for those who don't know is sort of the minor league the triple a if you will of golf um so tell us about that uh yeah it's it's a weird tour there's not really a whole you don't get as much data on it so and the books aren't paying attention as much to it they don't have as much info and they're obviously not getting the handles that they would on anything else so you, there's some stuff that slips through the cracks um, but yeah, we hit three in a row there early part of the season, um, hit in Panama and then we hit in Florida and we hit somewhere else. And then when again, summer came around and after they took a layoff and came back, hit two more in a row, hit this one the same week as we hit European tour. So there was a 45 to one and a 125 to one on the same day. So that was a pretty nice day. Uh, yeah, I was going to say there's like a hundred to one or two in there in there. So it's not just, we're not talking like 10 to one. You know, Deschambeau type yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah. We're talking some serious yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing with the Corn Ferry Tour is you're not seeing that kind of talent gap. There's not really that whole lot of difference between the guy who's twenty to one and the guys who's hundred to one. It's really a whole lot of who's been playing better lately. But there's not really you don't have that sort of dramatic talent uh, gap, like I just said there between between yeah, that higher yeah. echelon guy and the and the mid, medium tier because they're really all just guys who are trying to catch a little bit of a heater to get that shot on tour rather than uh, established talents. 
Yeah, absolutely. Definitely some value there, especially when you talk about like there's not that much information available. And if you can get deep into that scene, you can take advantage of it. So um, on the flip side, we've got the Masters this weekend. Um, literally the probably dead opposite of Panama and the Corn Fairy <laughs> yeah. Tour. Uh, so I'm on record as talking about how I only live bet the outrights. Uh, I'll come up with sort of a target list before the tournament starts and then kind of wait to get a better number because I feel like you almost always can. And if not, you know, you end up getting a worse number potentially, but it's after a ton of information, right? Like you, you see different guys drop off, like a Rory McIlroy is no longer in the mix. So, you know, now Dustin Johnson, even at a worse number, still to me has a better chance of winning when you eliminate some of these high profile guys. So by and large, I'll sort of, you know, pick off different guys throughout the tournament. Um, what percentage of live betting do you do when it comes to your um, overall attack when it comes to these tournaments? Um, for the most part, I'm usually done with outrights before the tournament. I'll look and add like one or okay. two in there just because I kind of have a generic idea of what the courses are going to be for the most part. So I, I have a profile of type of guy that I'd be looking at. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I'll maybe add one or two guys in the middle. And then every other tournament, like worldwide, I know we're going to be doing more Masters, but worldwide you really don't have live odds. So it's really, you're just done on that Wednesday night. But yeah, it's just uh, mostly during that during that time, I, I like to go after the matchups more in the middle of the tournament. Once I, Like you're saying, once you got more information and you can kind of see who's been putting well, who's kind of just kind of hanging on for dear life with the with the driver and right. the approach they've been riding the hot putters things like that we've had, i think we've done pretty well over the last couple of years just kind of targeting those spots in matchup plays okay very cool so uh you talked about you know things that you look for now we got the masters here obviously everybody loves it because it's the most recognizable one you've got all this data of past results that kind of thing. Is that really big for you from a past results? And, you know, analytically speaking, is there an element about Augusta, for example, that's more important to a player's game from a fit standpoint that maybe we're not that aware of, right? Like we always hear like, oh, bombers, like, you know, long is better. Long is better everywhere. Let's be honest, especially in 2020. But like, you hear about that. Is there something that's sort of a little bit more under the radar? And again, what's your weighting with regards to past results? Um, it, it matters a lot here, but everybody knows them, so I don't think you have an edge with them. Yeah. Um, but one thing you're saying, like Bombers, obviously, I think what the Augusta does is it doesn't hurt inaccuracy off the tee. Like, there's not rough weighting for you. So as long as you're, like, dodging the trees or you don't get a weird pine straw lie or something like that, usually it doesn't right. hurt the guys who spray it. And we kind of saw that, like, Jordan Spieth's not really that accurate off the tee, but he's done fine here. He's not necessarily a bomber. Patrick Reed won it a couple of years ago. He's not a bomber, but he and he kind of mm -hmm. tends to spray it. Um, if you have the short game and you can scramble, because you really need to be able to scramble around here, and you really need to be able to. Sometimes you need to putt well, but a lot of times, like the greens are fast, but really it's the scrambling aspect of it. So if you can. If you have the ability to hit some decent irons and you can scramble, then inaccuracy doesn't really get penalized as much here as we see at some other places. Yeah, and so, you know, they break down the scrambling a lot of times, right? You obviously have bunker play, and then you have, you know, out of the rough versus sort of a, sh a shorter grass. Is there a metric for, like, you know, because a lot of the, the short game, if you will, is off kind of a tighter lie. Is, that, is there a metric there for you? that is that important or are you just kind of going overall 
scrambling around the green kind of doesn't matter uh, what you kind of have to just go overall because they don't really break down like lie types other than bunkers and miss green like you're if you're, if you're, if you're scrambling you're scrambling kind of sort of thing um okay. but yeah it's one of those things where yeah you kind of just have to take a look at the numbers occasionally but for the most part we have a generic idea of who can scramble well and who's not and you kind of reevaluate at the end of the year and see if anybody kind of changed who they are or things like that. But week in, week out, there's just so much variation with you get a bad lie or you get a plug bunker shot. It can screw up what you did that week, and it doesn't really affect into the stats. Like if I'm in the bunker and my ball's buried, sure. it counts the same as if I got a perfectly clean lie. So they don't. there's no way to evaluate lies or anything like that with the data. So you kind of just take a big overall picture with it every year and kind of see who's improved and who's regressed and see where guys are. Okay. Well, let's get into some specifics here with some guys. And not always is the guy that everyone is talking about also the favorite, because a lot of the times the guy everybody's talking about is Tiger. And depending <laughs> on what his situation is year to year, he's not necessarily the favorite. But in this case, we should actually probably start with the favorite. And that's, of course, Bryson DeChambeau. Overall, like, what's your general outlook on him as it pertains to the Masters and all of this, obviously, crazy distance, you know, everything that he's been doing, is that just making him, obviously, it's made him the favorite here, but is, is that legitimate? Like, is he that good at I this mean, point? I mean, like we said, it's the inaccuracy isn't really penalized here, so you can pretty much just bomb yeah. this place. Like, if you can do what he does, then sure, like, you're going to have driver wedge and just a couple of those par fives on the back nine essentially so like he like if it's yeah. 510 yards and he can carry everything 350 he's gonna have like 150 yards in and if there's not really a if he can keep it like out of the forest then he's fine like even it's, off the pine straw we've seen it with bubba and phil in the past and their ability to to make things happen out of there it's not necessarily you're not really buried in that stuff you can you can hit it out of there so yeah it's one of those things where I mean, and we kind of saw it too at Wingfoot where he just kind of pulled away at the end. It's with these major championship courses. Like, we'll see what he does here. He's never really had a, a super great finish with, at the Masters. He's kind of had good rounds here or there, but never done it four days in a row. So we'll see. Um, but outside of, like, pressures, like, getting to him mentally or something like that, I don't really see a reason why he shouldn't be in the top five somewhere and, and threatening to win this thing. So it's such a short number. Is that worth betting? Like, to me, that's sort of never worth betting when it comes to how many good guys there are. And, like, the top players seem to be all at least playing to a level that is appropriate for them, right? You don't have a guy coming in off of an injury necessarily. I mean, a couple of guys at COVID, like DJ, for example. But, you know, like some years you come in, you're like, well, this guy's not great right now. And this guy's not great right now. Obviously, the scheduling being so kind of wacky we don't really get that same feel coming off of, you know, the usual March schedule here. Um, can you make a bet at plus 800 for Bryson? Um, I'm not going to. A lot of people had him early. That was when it was time to get him. He was 25, 40, 50 to one yeah. a couple months ago, three months, four months, going back or into before the, before the pandemic hiatus. You'd probably find a 50, 66, yeah. things like that. That was the time. Like now it's just kind of like if you missed it, you missed it, and you just hope he doesn't ruin your other bets. But honestly, it's one of those things where, <laughs> right. where he might – but yeah, like you're saying, everybody's playing well. I was just kind of going through the numbers. Like in the past month, every single guy has had a top five finish, except for Rory out of I think like the top ten or twelve guys in the odds. So everybody's shown signs that their their games are coming around. So it's weird year like that. Usually, like you're saying, you can eliminate a few of these guys, but it doesn't really feel that way this year. 
Yeah, so let's find some value here on this outright board, Dan, right? From a three-tier perspective, and you kind of look at the favorites and you go, you know, if not Bryson at a really short number, is there, is there one of these top guys, a JT, maybe not Rory, maybe Rory, I mean, who knows, right? Um, is there anybody here that you'd be backing as a favorite that you'd be okay with? thinking that maybe there's some value, even though they're, you know, say 12 to one, for example. Yeah. I, I usually never go that low just on an outright card. Like my, my degeneracy thing kicks in and I'll, I'll throw some parlays <laughs> together across the world for a lot of tickets. Some people will buy scratchers and gas station. I parlay golf outrights up worldwide. So, so I tossed DJ, <laughs> okay. I tossed DJ into that lotto ticket this week, but yeah, him and him, okay. him and Thomas would be the top two guys I'd be looking at just because Thomas's game the approach is always there. Um, he's going to give himself plenty of looks. It just kind of comes down to putting with him, and he hasn't really putted well at Augusta. That's been his thing. So if that ever mm-hmm. if that ever comes around, which the more you see these greens, the more you're going to get used to them. So I think that's more of an experience thing, and I would expect him to to get one of these sooner rather than later, whether it's this year, I'm not sure. But, yeah, DJ and Thomas out of probably the top five or six guys are, are the two I expect to perform the best. From an analytics standpoint, like I perceive Justin Thomas to be a fantastic scrambler. Uh, it always seems like he's getting up and down out of bunkers, that kind of thing. Is that does that hold up from a number standpoint? For yeah, you? yeah. Short game wise, he's fine. Uh, off the tee, he's fine. Approaches is, is his thing. He's yeah. maybe the best iron player on tour. Uh, it's just the putter gets wonky sometimes. Sometimes it runs really hot. Sometimes it runs really cold. There's rarely a kind of a middle ground with him. Yeah. Uh, mid-level guys, anybody that you love there in that sort of 40 to one type range? Um, I think uh, the guy I bet that I started off that I wrote up yesterday is Patrick Reed. I think he's, you can find probably a 30 to one on him if you search it around. Um, okay. he's, he's won it here, one, he won it here obviously a couple years back. And like, mm-hmm. like we were saying kind of earlier, it's one of those things where the inaccuracies don't really hurt him off the tee. Uh, he also tends to play a little bit of a, a draw in that, can help him out here on a couple holes. We always talk about how lefties have a bit of advantage because they can play their cuts and we've seen Phil yep. and Bubba and Mike Weir come out and win it. But, um, but yeah, Patrick reads the other way. So he prefers to draw right as a righty. So it's one of those courses that can set up well, if he's kind of playing well and he has been playing well, it's been close. He's been top 15 his last four over in Europe. He was third in their big event at Wentworth. So he's been, he's been kind of hovering around, hasn't really peaked yet, but the, but the, but everything's trending in the proper direction for him. And we know like if it's Patrick Reed versus Dustin Johnson on Sunday, he's not going to blink. He'll be right there ready to go. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Fan favorite Patrick Reed. Yeah. There is, yep. uh, you get, you get a lot more uh, leniency when you've got a Patrick Reed ticket and he's doing well. Right. So all of the other stuff kind of goes away when you've got money on Patrick Reed and he's actually doing well, right? Making, making fans that way. Yeah, yeah. And I think we kind of maybe get a little bit extra, extra value just because people aren't going to don't bet him. They don't like him. So there's, you're, not, <laughs> you're not getting that fan favorite push. Sometimes he, he drifts a bit because of that. Yeah, that's actually a great point. I hadn't thought of that. So um, any long shots worth a flyer, even if that means just for a top 20 that, you know, a guy that might be like plus 250, plus 300, something along those lines for a top 20, um, or maybe even has a chance to win it outright. We might have a Danny Willett or a Charles Schwartzel, maybe not literally those two guys, but, you know, someone adjacent to them. Yeah, two guys I've kind of looked at this week were Cam Smith and Jason Kokrak. Um, They're both in that 80 to 101 type range, and yeah, top 20 plays are pretty solid for them. Uh, With Cam Smith, he's not really, he's like a poor man's, maybe broke pants type Patrick Reed type of player where, right. where he's not accurate off the tee and he's not long. And 
and he he's pretty solid with the wedges and, and he's a great scrambler and he's a great putter and that's kind of who he is so you when you kind of think of like who's a poor man's speed back in the day poor man's patrick reed that that's kind of what cam smith's game is and he's, he's played well here once he was fifth here two years ago and the thing that's kind of popped up for me is his results over the last probably three months he's played seven times four times he's been in the top 20 two times he missed he was 22nd and he was 24th so he was right on the bubble of that missing it by a shot or two and he's kind of trending upwards he was fourth in his last start at the zozo we, we were watching uh justin thomas and patrick Cantley and john rom duke it out and he was the next guy in line so the game's hmm. going in the proper spot he's played well here before and he's just a guy who kind of slips under the radar and he's but he's a got the ability to, to scramble around this place and, and save himself when things go awry. And then with Jason Kokrak, it's uh, one of those guys who's, who's really good off the tee. Irons can be hit and miss, but when they're on, he doesn't putt well at all, but we've seen guys who don't putt well, like the Adam Scotts and Sergio's of the world, find a way to win here too, because it's just the greens are so tough that if you – if you're hitting the, if your ball striking well enough, then everybody else is going to eventually miss putts around you to keep you kind of right. keep you kind of afloat. But yeah, he's just been playing well. I mean, he finally broke through. You've kind of figured that would be a, a spot where he would let off the gas a bit and came back out the very next week and finished inside the top 20 again. So uh, oh, okay. it, it could be one of those things where he's just riding some form. And again, is he going to win? Probably not, but I threw a hundred to one dart at him and he's, in that same two, three to one range for a top 20. And he's been playing the best golf of his life. So we'll see if it can carry over into a major, but yeah, looking at his numbers, I think in his last six starts, he's been in the top 25 times and he hasn't missed cut in there. So overall the games, okay. and these are some pretty decent fields as we've been seeing all, all summer, all winter or all fall here where we're getting, where right. we're getting a lot of the, the big name guys in there and he's holding his own against them. Yeah, it's not like he's winning like in the Dominican, a uh, bunch of also rounds. Uh, okay, so next I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a couple of different groups here and sort of give me the guy that you like the most of the group and the guy that you like the least of the group. So the first group, five-person group, guys who are still waiting to win a major but are always seemingly in the hunt either at the Masters or just in general. So obviously the most talented guy, maybe the guy you probably will end up picking just you know, because of He's awesome. Uh, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Hideki Matsuyama, Tony Finau, Patrick Cantlay, right? Obviously kind of all in that same range. Rahm a little bit ahead. Uh, best guy for this week, worst guy out of those groups. Yeah, for that, um, if you're just talking like full-on outright, um, I, I, Rahm's yeah. obviously the best of that bunch. He's a notch ahead of everybody. It's funny because I have actually have a Hideki ticket just from a few months ago when it was 40 to 1, but... That's not really okay. playing out the way I was hoping. One of those situations where you go early and hope he trends right, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't really go anywhere. But yeah, with Rom, he's probably the best. Uh, with the with the least likely, I mean, you. I don't have any problem with Tony Finau. It's just we've we've seen it time and time again where he kind of get close. Like I mean, and he's he's yeah. got two top tens at this tournament. So if you're looking for like a top ten, top twenty type bet, sure, bet Finau. I have no no problem with that. But is he going to win it? I don't know. Like it's. It's tough to imagine him just pulling something out when he's not done it elsewhere. You know, you kind of got to have some sort yeah. of, you don't just show up and you win the masters. Usually there's some other sign. Like, <laughs> right. like even like we think, we think Danny will, it just kind of springing out of nowhere, but he had won in Dubai. Like that was a really big tournament right. a couple months earlier. And the same thing with, with guys like Charles Schwartzel, they had been playing really well overseas and, and been getting wins. They weren't necessarily the highest of profile wins, but they were, they were tasting that 
that Sunday success. So it's one of those things with Finau. It's like been four years since he won kind of a tiny event. And you got to figure it's got to yeah. come somewhere else before it comes here. Like, is he going to go cash a check? Is he going to make a cut? Is he going to get you a top 20 cash? Then sure, yeah, fire away. But as far as the outrights go, he's a little tough to, tough to back right now at the, when he's getting into that 30 to 1 range. Yeah, if you can't close it out in Minnesota when you're maybe the you know top favorite, you're the best guy in that event, I'm not going to see you uh, close it out at Augusta National. Highly unlikely. Uh, next little group here, mini group. The, uh, the rock stars, the new kids, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf. whose game suits this course the best and who's maybe this isn't the right weekend for them from a course standpoint. Yeah, uh, Wolf is probably playing the best. Um, Hovland's not here, yeah. unfortunately. He's, he missed out. Um, and then Morikawa, it's one of All those right. things where I, I kind of like him on tighter courses because he's, he's not the longest bomber. He's fine. He can drive it far enough, but he's not – bombs away like some of these other guys i kind of like him where it's tighter and he, he can use that kind of total driving sort of aspect of his game where he can combine that above average length and solid accuracy where it's here and you can just spray it everywhere um sometimes then it's maybe not playing to his the best of his strengths and then wolf is yeah of, of those three it's probably got to be wolf just because yeah he, he just hits it farther than everyone and then he can maybe take advantage of these par fives a little bit better yeah, he's one of the only guys who can sort of put it in the same spot that Bryson is looking to put it in, at least. Uh, unless Bryson brings out the 48-inch yeah, driver. Yeah. Uh, so, and then finally, the old guys. Tiger or Phil, who does better this week? Man, it's kind of tough because we haven't seen Tiger play well, but then Phil also, <laughs> Phil's kind of been dominating the old guy tour, so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, is that going to carry over? Honestly, I mean, I'm not really expecting much from either of them, especially Tiger just... I don't, I'm not even 100% sure he's really that healthy. It just hasn't looked good for a while. Um, so, I mean, I, I'd back Phil. I just think he, his game is probably better. But, I mean, I'm not looking to bet anything on either of them this week. It's more just kind of a, a viewing standpoint sort of thing. Do you ever take part in the make or missed cut markets? And if so, like, listen, Tiger could totally flame out here and is usually a pretty, you know, would be pretty good value to do something negative yeah. right because again people want to bet tiger to do something positive um is there anybody in the missed cut like i know no matter what i do i'm going to be wrong if i'm betting ricky fowler <laughs> one thing or the other um but he seems like you know he's a guy who could easily miss a cut in any given major um or also be in the top five is there anybody for you that you'd be like okay way down the line like you know, Sandy Lyle <laughs> making the cut or on the reverse, right? Like a top player potentially missing the cut uh, if they have a bad couple. Yeah. Um, with, with this year too, we got to note that the Masters changed their cut line this year. It had used to be like, you'd make yeah. it if you were within 10 shots, no matter what. Um, so you guys go out and shoot six under, there could be 80 guys who are four over or better and they're all making the cut this year. They got rid of that. It's just top 50 and ties. So it's a little bit more advantageous to bet the missed cuts than it has been in the past you actually have a firm on cut line you know where you're at um that said um yeah i did back one it was gary woodland um found it plus 140 plus 150 range you can probably look out there if you dig around for it uh gary's not really that healthy and he's going through some like body changes working on stuff he's dropped a bunch of weight like i don't really know where his game's at but recently it's not been going well for him i think he's missed the cut in three of his last five starts and then he's never, even when he was playing good, he wasn't good at the Masters. He's missed the cut three of the last four years. So even at his best, when he was 
when in U.S. Open, Gary Woodland, he was missing cuts and playing poorly at Augusta. So, and now with his game now where it's at, where it should be at and, and getting plus money on it. And uh, I, that was the one I looked at there yeah. that I ended up back in there. I like that a ton. I like that a ton. Yeah, I feel like every time I've tuned in the last few weeks, it's like Gary Woodland is getting like stretched out on the T block. And it's like, that's probably not a great sign uh, going into the Masters. Um, is it weird that I like the debutante market a lot? No, this week? that's always a fun um, one. Just from, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anybody there that you're like, yeah, I'd take, take a um, run. Out. Well, Kokrak was one of my guys. So he's up there. I think he's nine to yeah, one there. So I bet him. I would look at him. Uh, Sebastian Munoz has been playing super well. Um, doesn't, doesn't miss yeah. cuts. Um, I think in his last eight or nine starts, he's gotten inside the top 20 like five or six times. So he's just been playing really solid. It's just one of those things where you got to kind of worry about the talent at the top. So you're dealing with the Morikawas and the Wolves and things like, and Scotty yeah. Shuffler too. So if you want to dig down, you never really know how that Augusta pressure is going to affect any of them, but those are two guys way further down the board that are that give you some decent numbers in a, in a smaller market that that have been playing good golf and whether it carries over to Augusta and they can handle that pressure, who knows? But but they but their games are at least in the right spot to play well. Uh, from the obscure guy category, why do I like Christian Bazudenhout <laughs> as much as I do? Um, I don't know. He, he, Is there he's any a reason? Cutter and scrambler. So as long as he keeps the ball, okay. On in play, he's good. Um, and if you want a little nugget there, he was Sergio won in Dubai, Will at one in Dubai, and they ended up winning the Masters. And so there was a little bit of a trend. And then How Tong Lee screwed it up last year and it was like, oh, it's over. Uh, this year, this year the winner is was Lucas Herbert. He's not in the field, but I think it was Bazudin who, who lost in the playoff to him. So he played well at that one course. So We'll see if he can he can revive okay. that little Dubai Masters angle. Granted, that was back in January and is even less relevant now than it was back then. But that was always the fun thing we look <laughs> right. at with uh, with those with that tournament. So yeah, he was he would be the closest on that if you're looking for any sort of reason. <laughs> That's great. I am looking for any. I'm not even. I'm going to do it no matter what. So you could have been like, he's an atrocity. He doesn't even play with the correct hand. I'd have been like, I'm done. I don't care. I'm totally fine. Um, head to heads, and then we'll get you out on here on this. Uh, everyone has sort of different matchups, right? Depending on. Mm-hmm. Their matchups. And then I'm like looking at my book. I'm like, I got a bunch of different matchups. Like that mm-hmm. doesn't really do me any good. So more from a general standpoint, is there somebody that we should be fading in any kind of a matchup? And it's obviously sort of a wider spread question if we don't know the specific matchup. But is there a guy that you're like, yeah, I do not like, other than maybe Gary Woodland, which we obviously talked about. Uh, I do not like where he's at right now um, or in general with this, with the Masters, right? Because some guys just don't play well at this course. Yeah, it's kind of further down the board because all the top guys are pretty much in form. And the one who isn't like on his A-plus game is like Rory. And I don't really want to bet into Rory either. So it's like guys further down, like you mentioned, Gary Woodland's not playing great. Kind of look at him. I was looking at matchups earlier and it was weird ones against like Kucher or Matt Wallace. Wasn't really too interested in that. Would have to double back around. Same with like a a Brendan Todd situation there where um, he's not long. He relies on his accuracy, but this is a course where it's length. And you don't really need to be accurate. And then he went and missed the cut at the tournament he won last year in Bermuda uh, two weeks ago. So he's not really playing well. He was playing in those two non-cut events and finished outside the top 45. So basically more than half the field beat him. So, I mean, he's pretty far down the board. But, like, 
he's got the same outright odds as Sebastian Munoz, the guy I just mentioned a minute ago. They're both 150 right. to one. So there's a chance I haven't dug into the matchups that deep yet, but there's a chance that those two run into each other in a matchup since they're similar outright odds. Oh, and that okay. sort of thing is, uh, but yeah, Brendan Todd would be a guy I'd be looking to, to fade against pretty much any of those 150 to one type guys, the, the Lonto Griffins of the world, maybe a Billy right. Horschel, maybe a Ian Poulter or a Bernd Wiesberger, Eric Van Ruyen, any of those type of guys. But yeah, Todd's just not where, where I would want him on this course right now. Okay. Uh, I think that about covers it. Do you have any, is there anything else that we're not thinking of that, you know, maybe it's an obscure derivative, maybe it's something, you know, another top 20 type guy, uh, anything else that we need to know? No, not really. There's a, there's not really the, I guess everything's, yeah, we've kind of covered everything here. Yeah. There wasn't really a whole lot of the props that I was, in love with usually i can find something weird with the, the top frenchman or top irishman or something like I that i love those but I, yeah but yeah i should say top canadian we needed yeah. we should have got a top canadian pick yeah yeah me. i mean that's probably Corey connors would be my guess i, I haven't looked at the full field that mackenzie hughes is even in it but yeah connors with this ball striking is always a always a friend of mine he i actually hit his win in texas the one time he got through so me and Corey are, are good for life even if he doesn't know it <laughs> right well, okay. Then, uh, then that, yeah, that just about does it. So tell us where we can find what you do over at the Action Network. Yeah, everything's on, on their app and the website, actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. Um, everything's free with the, we're not behind the paywall because we have their, our, our agreement with the PGA Tour where we're working with them. So you guys can check all that out for free. And then on Twitter at Joshua Perry 22. And so we're not just talking Masters here. We're talking every week you're throwing down previews for even the most obscure, shouldn't even say obscure, but the you know relatively low attended uh, golf tournaments in on the PGA. Yep, I'll write up PGA every week and anything else they want me to. And if not, I'll bet it out on Twitter and you guys can tag along and we'll lose together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or in the case of the Corn Ferry Tour, get stinking rich off some of the plays that you've been making. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at JoshuaPerry22. This was fun, man. Thanks for uh, coming on. No problem, anytime. Awesome stuff there from Joshua Perry. For me, uh, I don't love doing the pre-tournament outright thing, right? I think the market's been sort of beaten into a place that is appropriate from a number standpoint. Uh, there's obviously a ton of guys here at the top of this leaderboard, as Josh was saying, that are in really good form. So a bad round to start is going to create some value on a lot of guys here, and we can't get carried away with things that happen in the first round. The old saying, right? Sometimes these cliches are true. The Masters doesn't begin until the back nine on Sunday. So if it doesn't begin on the back nine, why would I care all that much about what happens in round one? So from an outright standpoint, top fives, each ways, all of that kind of stuff, I'm going to be looking at that after round one. So follow along on Twitter for that, at authentic. What I do like to do before the tournament starts is get some longer shot top 20s into the account. And these are guys sort of in the plus 200 or better type of a range where, listen, if they have a good first round and then they just kind of cling to that the rest of the way, they might still be able to, you know, certainly make the cut, but then get into the top 20. And if they don't, there's obviously the possibility for a backdoor top 20 as well. Uh, he talked about Kokrak, obviously love it, plus 225. He talked about Cameron Smith, love that too, plus 200, right? Following him along, right along there. All, I shouldn't say all, a lot of these other guys, kind of dicey once you get into it but that's kind of the point that's why we're getting quote unquote the price the value 
uh, that we're getting. Corey Connors, you mentioned him, plus 350. That's a guy definitely worth a look for a top 20. And then way further down the board, well, I should say way further, plus 350 for Sebastian Munoz. Love that too. Uh, really in lockstep here. And of course, my guy, Christian Bazudenhout. Plus 600, little six to one shot here. Uh, and then finally, Ben on uh, plus 500 for a top 20 here. A guy who's in, you know, very good scrambler. Uh, watched one of those charity, you know, Wednesday sort of hit and giggle type nine hole things that are on the Golf Channel before a tournament a few weeks back. And Bubba Watson was like obsessed with Ben on and asking him about his scrambling and how he practices it. And it wasn't like the most amazing conversation you ever heard. Like Bubba Watson was literally like, so what do you do? And he's like, I practice a lot. And like, that was kind of it. But then he just, he went through the rest of that sort of charity event, the nine holes and was scrambling all over the place. And Bubba just kept going like, see, like you're great at this, like da 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 da. So, I mean, that's kind of a dumb reason necessarily to back somebody, but again, a guy I think can make the cut, can sneak in here in the back door and wouldn't be stunned if he sort of led after or the first round, maybe even the second round or something along those lines, because basically was in contention at some point, even if he fades away at plus 500 uh, for him. Uh, beyond that, it gets really grim on, you know, you can talk yourself into a Max Homa, for example, a Dylan Fratelli, potentially, uh, even a Rafa Cabrera Bayo, who's been playing a little bit better, uh, in the, you know, recent history. Um, then you got your classics, your Fred Couples, Bernard Longer, 16 to one for a top 20, maybe, you know, like this is going to be, or at least potentially sets up to be one of the weirdest masters ever so um that's essentially what i do as far as the pre stuff like i said follow along if you care to um with regards to the live betting stuff that's worked out well for us right got uh hit the colin morikawa at a great price for the us open uh that's sort of the claim to fame this year um but i've hit a bunch of them on the weekends right not necessarily the same level of a pricing that they are getting before the tournament starts but again you can get a guy plus five six hundred seven hundred who's a great player maybe he's a few shots back on saturday something along those lines and he just hasn't had that round yet from a weather standpoint i always kind of look into that um there i don't really think that there's much of an advantage either way whether you're the early time or the late time the late time potentially if there's rain would then have to come out on friday morning and finish up their round before starting their own round. And where that's sort of an advantage, obviously, is, you know, we talk about all the time, in the morning round, better scoring conditions, right? Like the greens haven't been chopped up. Um, oftentimes there's a little bit less wind, that kind of thing. So that might actually work to the late tea time group, uh, you know, to their advantage, that cohort. But not enough so that I'm literally crossing out half the field the way that we were doing at the U.S. Open and the way that we often have to do for the British Open. It took me a minute, but I'm fired up for the Masters this weekend. Uh, a couple of bets there. Uh, again, follow along at Authentic on Twitter. Subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.